It appears that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. If he ends up winning, what does he owe us? But will Trump and his gun Latin supporters allow him to leave peacefully if he loses? Will Trump's push to sue over election results actually gain traction? And hey, Georgia, we see you. Thank you, Stacey Abrams and all of the black female organizers around the country. And we see you too, our Latinx people. Why are media still getting Latinx voters wrong? And finally, why are Democrats still stuck on getting white voters that do not want them anymore? We'll talk about that and more on this episode of Black Diplomats Podcast. Let's do it. Welcome back to another episode of Black Diplomats Podcast. I'm your host, Terrell Starr, and with me this week to break down our ongoing 2020 election coverage are two of my favorite people, two people who gave me the confidence to start my own podcast, two people who invested in me years ago and helped me realize that I can be as black and radical as I want and succeed in media. They are the co-hosts of In The Thick Podcast. Maria Inahosa and Julio Ricardo Varela. What's up? Um, just, just, yeah, I'm like so excited. Like, I, I'm a tear of pride, Maria. Oh, right? Uh. Aren't you thinking tear of pride here? <laughs> but the thing is, is that we, you know, Terrell always says you, uh, you guys gave me the confidence in the start. But what Terrell doesn't realize is that Terrell, you are an essential part of in the thing. Right. So you also. You know, when you came on the show, we created an entire segment about what you brought, which was the issue of mental health as a black man living in New York City. So you have always also been um, a model for us and your voice is so real. One, you're just a great reporter. You know, you're just a great reporter. And, uh, you know, in the end, for us, we're like just journalists who are political nerds and geeks, and we love to talk about this shit. So we're at home yeah. with you. We love you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Listen, y'all, when I first got into media, I was trying to figure out myself going on TV. And ultimately, what I realized was that I had a particular perspective that was anti-imperial, anti-militarism, and it decentered whiteness. And I found that my perspectives, especially in 2017 after the election, when everybody was focusing on Russia, 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 yeah. my approach was, yes, they are an imperial nation. This is what they're supposed to do, but I'm less concerned about Putin and more concerned about the white folks in these suburbs and the other parts of America that voted for fascism <laughs> i think that's really the threat that yeah. that is the threat and yeah, so yeah. you all gave me the space to work through my ideological outlooks and my thoughts and you made me feel like there is legitimacy in how i viewed the world and i'm indebted to y'all for that because the reason why i'm podcasting is because of y'all i feel at home oh. doing this i feel that's great indigenous to this form of storytelling and i've been waiting for years for this moment to be ready to host a show with y'all because all the lessons that i've learned from you are going to be on display now plus you have a great voice, Terrell. Yeah, first of all, let's just say one thing, Terrell. I mean, he's got a great voice. You, you... The In The Thick community, the amount of tweets we get from listeners about 
you, about what you share, how you break it down, how you keep it real, how your voice is inspiring other voices to be like, yes, that's how I feel. That's what it's all about. And so, you know, you've, you've, I mean, one of the things I learned from you between the election cycles from 2016 up to now was you have never let up on sort of this reality of whiteness choosing a president. And even in this cycle, the most, right, the most voted cycle in the history of America, you're talking like, you know, 70 million, you know, the Joe Biden got the most votes of any candidate, but so did Donald Trump. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of white people that still feeling uncomfortable in a lot of ways. Absolutely. With all due respect, my my dear, and, and, and you, Terrell, have helped me to understand, of course, Russia, the Ukraine, all of that, you know, a, one part of the world where I've never been. But I, I still don't, I still have deep concerns about Putin and, and his influence. And you know, one thing that I will never forgive him for, you know, it really just kind of, it, for me, it just, when it, when this happened, and I think you may, I can't remember, I, I know I've certainly shared this with you, but when I was doing early street reporting in 2015, around the election, and I went to North Carolina, and it was there where I heard black activists from the left and the right. I remember this. All of them were activists. They yep. were actually getting out the vote. And when I asked them if they were going to vote, they said no, all of them to a T. And I said, what? And they said, no, no, no. This time around, we're, we're, showing, our, we're showing our power by not voting. And I was like, well, but where does that come from? And then there was that whole, that whole social media push black activists, you know, I'm not going to go ahead and name all of them. I was getting their emails that were headlining black power. Don't vote. Show your black power by not voting. We now know that Putin and his people were behind that because he understands the issue that we love talking to you about, Terrell, and why the work that you do is so important. You have to understand race in the United States of America. And he does. And he understands how divisive it is. And it is the Achilles heel of this country. And he took it. And for that, I will never forget him. I'm just saying. You mentioned, Maria, about me uh, introducing this conversation about journalists and mental health. So look, with the way that this election is going, we're all going to have to figure out some form of therapy because we are some traumatized people so let's get into our first segment so oh. now <laughs> what a nice transition joe, i love it yeah yeah so so we have joe biden pulling ahead in georgia and pennsylvania it's likely that he's going to win the presidency but the democrats approach of attacking donald trump on his handling of the corona virus pandemic did not work nor did its fawning over white working class voters not only did trump grow his base an Associated Press analysis reveals that in 376 counties with the highest number of new COVID-19 cases per capita, 93% of those counties Dude. went for Trump. I want to repeat yep. that again. 93%. Yeah. Wow. And while Biden won a majority of Latinx voters overall, Trump gained with this group in some areas, especially Florida. Now, still, he won overall, and we need to have conversations about why media still don't understand this population, including Democrats. Another point <laughs> is 8% of black Americans supported Trump. It's a 2% increase from 2016. 
according to the Associated Press. So, Maria, let's start with you. Why is this race so close? I mean, this is the thing that's so hard for us right now is that there's a lot of mixed emotions, right? There is, you know, I do want to celebrate the work of uh, people on the grassroots, many of whom I've spoken to and reported on, who, Latinos and Latinas specifically, who decided to take getting out the vote into their own hands, despite what the political party apparatus was, Democrat in many cases. So I want to, I want to celebrate that. I, I want to celebrate that Latinas in particular were turning out at such high numbers that young Latinos and Latinas turn out that my my adult children will never see an electoral uh, a vote like this. If ever again they their lives have been changed by this and they will hand it down to their children. So the work that I needed to do to politicize my kids around electoral politics has just happened. So there are things to celebrate, to really just, but celebrate is a deep word, right? Because Joe Biden oversaw, as vice president, the deportation of what, over 2 million people, right? Joe Biden was part of the administration. So am I celebrating? And then then you get to the other thing, which is many of us right now, that's what we're processing is like, we're rooting for a win here, but we're having to squeeze it out. So that means my white brothers and sisters, after everything that they've lived through, that they have seen on the backs of people like me, like Julio, like you, Terrell, and they're like, no, that's okay. You know, whatever. If, if they say, but my 401 is, K, is, is great and the stock market up is up and I'm just like, whoa, then, you, you know, you, you really have no morals. I mean, I'm sorry, but okay, if you're moved by money. But, but other than that, the fact that, that so much of this country could be okay of, with this, but I will end with this. Is this like, you know, the most divided time? I was a little girl um, when G George Wallace was running for president. You guys may not have been alive, but I was. I was a little, little, little girl. And even as a little, little, little girl, me, the Mexican, and my best friend who were Jewish, who was Jewish, with no Twitter, no social media, no cable news, no nothing, we knew that George Wallace wanted to take us and get us, get us out of the country. We were looking for a basement to hide in. So I was alive when Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy were shot to death. So most divided time in this country, I lived in Chicago during the, the 1968 Democratic National Convention and the police riots. So most divided time in our country, mm, in, in, in the last, you know, 10 years, it's always been divided. And that's it. It is our history. So we are feeling a mixed bag here. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to add a couple of things to this um, because, Terrell, you talking about white voters and and this whole notion, I think that narrative, given where this race is going, we're going to continue to hear about the white voters of the Midwest. So let me just stop and keep it real for a second, because here's a couple of things that we need to know. Let's just let's focus on the Midwest for a second. Right. Who came out in Michigan? Right. Who came out in Michigan? Black, black, Detroit, black people. Black people and, people. and and and, you know, Detroit is a black city, but it's also a very Mexican city, too. It's a border city. Specifically Mexican, yeah. Specifically Mexican. Generations. Yeah. Generations. It's, you know, there's a, there's a place called Mexican Town, like, and, it's not a, and it's not a disparaging name. It's a name of pride. So Southwest, Detroit, 
came out and and we're pragmatic about it. Let's just be real. Like this was not a perfect candidate. So let's be real. So Detroit. Where else? Where else is a state? Milwaukee. Mexicans and Puerto Ricans. Um saving that yep. city. Saving that city yep. came out. Let's move over to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. You know how many texts I have gotten and Maria as well from Puerto Rican organizers who like literally drove from New York City to Eastern Pennsylvania to knock on doors in the middle of a pandemic and and, and say, Vamonos, we need to get out. We have to vote. This is for our mm-hmm. survival. You have And Lehigh and Lehigh, Lehigh Valley. Valley. It, you know. They were doing that work. So start looking that's what's going to be missed in the main and And you didn't even mention Arizona and Nevada. Yeah, I wasn't even gonna go because that's the other thing that the West there so there's this blue Midwest wall, Terrell. But what I've been saying with Maria, there's also a blue southwest western wall. Arizona flipped. Nevada, you know, Nevada. Then you have New Mexico, California. It's mostly Mexican. It's younger. It's progressive. Democrats, I mean, I'll be honest with you. They kind of got, like, the lucky. They got, like, really organized grassroots young people who are like, we got to vote this guy out, this 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 president out that wasn't coming from the democratic party all this came from the grassroots and, and i'm going to so, add into something Julio, yeah. uh, that you mentioned so i wrote a piece er, this this morning that was released and i point out three main issues with the democratic party one democrats have not won a majority of the white vote since the 1960s after the voter rights act white people fled the party in large part because of civil rights. That is why they are there. Another thing is that we are into the second election since the 2013 Supreme Court ruling that gutted the, uh, the, the Voter Rights Act. So right now you have states, particularly Georgia, particularly Arizona, uh, a number of places in which states are no longer required to get federal permission to change their local laws. And so mm-hmm. that's why mm-hmm. you see these polling stations closed, being consolidated to one in these predominant neighborhoods. And you also have these very repressive and very subjective voter ID laws. And so just from a functional level, it's just harder for people to vote. And then another dynamic that you have is that Democrats, I believe the national party, let me be specific at the national level with the DNC. And then you also have the donor base that are very invested in this belief that they have a cheat code (laughs) to whiteness, that they can out white whiteness, that we can (laughs) trick white people who are supporting Trump into believing that they are voting against their own economic (laughs) interests. And the reality is that when we saw with these COVID-19 cases, they are willing to kill themselves if it means that it will preserve their whiteness after their deaths. That is what they have shown you. Also, also, we don't have the data right here, but we know four years ago the data revealed that it was the whitest counties and municipalities the ones that had the least exposure to POC that voted for Donald Trump. So it is a perceived threat 
you know, they don't even, it's not like we're like even nearby and they're just like, shit, yeah. you know, we're, you know? <laughs> they're like, shit, you know? Yeah. So it's a weird, it's a weird, it is. And, and for that, as Terrell says, that fear of whatever it is, is the reason why they do this, which is why, just let yeah. me say this, yeah. Julio, and I know you do this too, um, and you too, Terrell, um, is because, you know, actually as journalists, we are also motivated by heart. Yeah. You know, and so we do have these conversations with people we engage with, whether I mean, before when we were out and about, I know that all three of us are having those conversations with people who support Trump. And we're trying to have some kind of a conversation with them to understand what the fuck. Yeah. But I will add one of the things in all this, because the Trump, quote unquote, strategy now to to try to win back the election. I mean, Terrell um, and Maria the two things that really jumped out when he did this, whatever he did on Thursday night, I'm still trying to process it. The disinformation propaganda, two things that came to mind in all this cheating in the election. Where are the cheaters? He made two points. He mentioned Detroit and Philadelphia. Okay. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, he didn't say, Hey, you know, those cities have a history of corruption. Why don't you just fucking say, black people just be like just be racist like i just say it because you want to say it because you know that black people are booting you out of office so that's number one number two we're gonna focus just on the legal votes not the illegal votes okay that's a page out of stephen miller's xenophobic immigration jeff sessions anti-immigrant you know credo and this Right, Maria? Like, it's this notion of, like, he's literally creating, like, Latinos, you know, they're not, they're cheating. They're not Americans. Well, I do feel slowly today, so slowly, that the fact that the mainstream, several of them, news cable networks and the news network, turned away from that particular rant um, from the president is a hint where they are saying you are no longer the president. In other words, you have lost the respectability that we used to give you because you were the president. And so therefore we treated you with this kind of respect. Now that we know that you're really, you know, going down the dumpster, we're going to dump out on you. And so I'm glad, but I'm like, yo, it took a while. It, but he's playing the racist and xenophobic hits while you're while, while the ship is sinking. He's just going to be like, let's just throw everything out. And now I'm going to throw my racism. So, my what, did, so what did Fox News, what the Fox News look like, I guess, is the question. Because you were, I no, don't know, Terrell, have you been I watched, watching Fox I News? I watched Fox News, uh, just be honest, because I have watched a lot of Fox News. It's been pretty good. They've been calling it early. It has. It hasn't been bad. Yeah, they, they, because here's the thing, uh, Julio, to, to, to get into that. Fox News, I think that there is. There is a, a, a feeling and an energy that it's over. They genuinely know that, and so they're trying. They're they're maintaining a, a, a sober tenor. Yeah, they're maintaining a, a tenor. Yeah. But uh, here's the main takeaway from this exchange: what Donald Trump has taught us, and what this should be a signal to for Democrats is that base campaigning works. Trump said everything that his base wanted and they responded to it in voluminous numbers so we have to look at the way that trump speaks more in a sense of yes it's racist yes it's xenophobic but 
they don't care because they are his voters are attracted to that. And so what it should tell Democrats is that if you go out and you reach your base, they will come to you. But here's the number one problem with that. The base of the future is is are, are Latino voters, yep. they're black people, they're young people and you have these operatives that don't know how to communicate with these groups. Which, Not only which, don't which, know how, don't want to. Don't want to, but also, which is why the activists on the ground work. The exactly. Democrats, the Democrats, their best, their best approaches to winning races, or I would say Democratic uh, campaigners and organizers on the ground outside of the Democratic industrial complex, or more specifically, the industrial white boy complex, <laughs> I would call it, is that they operate from the margins. Organizers go for the working poor. They go for the uh, LGBTQ plus people. They are reaching out to uh, uh, Latinx voters, particularly, and we'll get into this later in our final segment. You know where who Democrats need to learn from? You ready for this one? For Latinos? Oh, God. Republicans. I was going to say, they did do that. They did do a jingle. Because, because here's the thing. This whole gains thing, and you saw my tweet. You know, I, I, was, I was very randy this week with the simplistic hot takes. So I just went on Twitter and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do my takes here. And so this was my, this was my, you know, that was, I was preaching in the pews. And one of the things where it, you have to look at this historically with Trump, it's a third of the Latino vote, no, no matter nationally, but what they did, right. And Maria just mentioned it. They put so much money in Miami and they were culturally competent and they were and what they said was we're going to get all the people that fled socialist and communist countries who are traumatized and we're going to just go in and be culturally competent to them. So we're going to speak their language and then we're going to do some really catchy salsa tunes as well that you can dance to. And it worked. It worked. It worked and it worked. Right, Maria? What do you, I mean, don't you think it worked? It's it's like it well, it's like everything that the Trump administration does. It's like they project. And so they were like, Oh man, we know Latinos hate us so much because they should, because we actually hate Latinos. We hate them so much that we're actually gonna con them. Right. Absolutely. It's like we're gonna show you we're gonna show you how stupid you are that we, the party that hates you, is gonna convince you to vote for us and we're about to show you how to do that and they did and, and and so that is where the sinister part of it because we know that in some back room they are just cracking up they are just like those those can you believe it can you believe they did this they are certainly stupid and that that feeling because al final de cuentas you know as we're talking on your show black diplomats you know i, I as somebody who had ptsd i i acknowledge the fact that there are people who have PTSD from from no, Cuba, from Cuba, Venezuela, from Venezuela, Nicaragua, from Bolivia, Colombia. from Nicaragua, yep. from multiple yep. places, right? And that they that this and, and so I feel sad because this is a trauma, and the Trump administration went after it. And what's upsetting to me is that the Democrats just said, "Oh well." not even going to try and go after it. That's where it's just like, ugh. One of the appeals that draw black men to Trump is he preaches a ministerial, uh, like a, 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 a financial prosperity. 
So economic prosperity is a it's a it's a financial gospel, so to speak, that black men have been cut out of the economic vitality of America. And that means a lot for a lot of black men. And when I reflect on that, I think about all the billionaires or the multimillionaires like Ice Cube and you think about the approaches of Jay-Z uh, with, with the NFL and it's all predicated on this idea of, and I'm going to say the N-word because it's a perfect use of the word here, is that I would rather be at the table as a partner with the white man than being his nigga. Well, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so, so I think that for a lot of black people, we are not aspiring for our liberation. We are aspiring to be at the table with the white man who used to be our master. And so that's better than being a nigga. And I think that we are all trying to graduate from being a nigga in America. And for many people, the most convenient and best option to do that is by getting as much money as possible. But uh -huh. I always have to remind folks by saying that it's difficult for black people, or I would say impossible for black people to be capitalist in America because we have always been the capital. Mm. Mm. So mm. we used to be slaves. We are a people who were brought over to this country to serve and produce for the state. We were products. We were not people. And so Correct. we too, Maria, are going through our own traumas or what it means yes. yeah. to, 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 to navigate this country. And so there's a particular tenderness and care that we have to have when we talk to these people who are going for Trump because they don't have the access to therapy or the outlooks that we have to education in many instances like we do to navigate their trauma. And they do it by the almighty dollar. Yeah. Right. But also, you know, there are people who like bullies. Yeah. I mean, they, they respond to bullies yeah. and I'm being very, yeah. and so in some ways that has nothing to do with, yes, there's the white supremacy thing, but in some ways like responding to a bully and somebody who's like, I don't give a fuck what you think. I'm going to do whatever I want. Like that kind of like, uh, there are people who respond to that, who are black, who are Latino, who are white, who are Asian. But also like striving for this quest of American whiteness. Right. But and, well. and, and that, that quest of American whiteness is to get to a point where you can basically say, F fuck all of you yeah and it's like Terrell said there's plenty of Latinos who also want to be at claro. that table and be subjugated claro. um, and think that they're you know what I mean and 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 there's plenty of white Latinos who don't see themselves as Latino they see themselves as I am going to strive for American whiteness and that's another thing yeah that's another thing Julio we're going to talk about that because I feel like that's the section where we're discussing what do uh, media get wrong because I've seen your tweets, bro. So we're gonna talk about <laughs> that. So yeah. So now, now let's move on to another interesting conversation about the House Democrats. So in this cycle, House Democrats expected to gain on their 2018 buildup in Congress, but House Democrats actually lost a significant number of seats, with more moderate Democrats blaming their more far left colleagues for their defeats. The Washington Post reports that House Democrats got into an angry exchange Thursday. Here are some highlights from that call per the Post. And I quote, I'm quoting some, some Congress people. We need to not ever use the word socialist or socialism ever again. 
We lost good members because of that. Representative Abigail Spamberger, who nearly leads in her re-election bid, said heartily, if we are classifying Tuesday as a success, we will get fucking torn apart in 2022. Liberals, meanwhile, fired back at Representative Pramila Jayapal, who argued that Democrats shouldn't single out people in ideas that energize the party base. Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, a self-described Democratic Socialist, grew angry, accusing her colleagues of only being interested in appealing to white people in suburbia. And I quote, to be real, it sounds like you are saying, stop pushing for what black folks want. This tea is piping hot. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, so, 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 Julio, what, what do you have to say about this infighting with moderates and liberals going at each other over the seats that they lost in this cycle? You know, this is such. Uh, this is to me is like the theme of the Democratic Party. That I know Maria and I have talked about how we're going to unpack this. Uh, over the next couple of months on In the Thick, because I do think there is going to be this philosophical battle. And it showed, right? One of the problems in all this is that the Democratic Party right now is at a big crossroads because they and they just don't have a good institutional answer to fight back against what is a very effective, um, even though it could be very misinformed or not accurate, like the Trump campaign did a really good job and Republicans do a really good job in painting every Democrat as the quote unquote radical left. Right. It could be you, you could be the most bluest dog in the most blue dog state and you are Fidel Castro. It's established. <laughs> it's established. So in, and Biden had problems with that, too. That's why I think one of the reasons they here's the thing. They didn't need to win Florida. They they didn't really put their heart into Florida. Because he'd be like, come on, man, I'm not a socialist. That's not an answer. That's not an answer. So this is what it boils down to. And this is what. Well, Joe Biden is also one of the more mediocre white men to win. I mean, <laughs> if he ends up winning like we're supposed like he's like, like worse you know, than like, I, I than like James win. Garfield or someone like that. <laughs> it would be like it would be because. He was dragged across the finish line, not because he got there on his own. Two yeah. So my point being is you could say what you want, but let me and I wrote about a little bit about this in The Atlantic earlier this year. And let me just expand, expand on this. Let's take like young Latino voters who are the fastest growing electorate in, that are aligning themselves to Democrats. Although I do. I just need to remind people that a lot of them don't even affiliate with a party. Okay, so you already don't have this sort of like, oh, I'm a I'm a Democrat. Let's go. What you need to understand about this generation, and I can speak with a lot of confidence in this because I've been covering this generation for ten years, at Latino Rebels, is that they have an affinity to a Latin Americanization of politics. So when they look at the mm -mm. student movement in Chile. Or when they see like what happened in Puerto Rico with the resignation of Ricardo Rosselló, when they look at what um, you know they were following like Evo Morales, the coup, right? Things that they are very leftist and progressive, and things like socialism, especially even in a Mexican content, doesn't doesn't scare them. Does not scare them. That's also been around for a long time, Julio. 
So, so you, you, you have to understand that there is, there is a leftist tradition. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a part of that. Um, the Democratic Socialists of America did have wins right. throughout the country um, in local races. And so it is, um, it is a conversation that needs to be had. I mean, I just find it fascinating where it's like, oh, my God, first it was the caravan. It was the wall. It's like, OK, now it's the socialists. Right. Oh, my God, it's AOC. Right. You know, it is uh, the, the Republican Party throughout has been very good at finding the boogeyman. And frankly, the Democratic Party has a lack of imagination right. in terms of the response. That's what it is. That, that's the main thing, Rhea. So let's let's go. I think another thing, too, going specifically to this ideological struggle within the party is that in 2018, what Nancy Pelosi does not appreciate is that it was the AOCs, the Ayanna Presleys, even though they wanted what were considered liberal right. fashions anyway, that wasn't the point. It was the spillover into other races and the motivation for other black women to run. And so it was the more liberal and the more progressive AOCs that gave the win under the wings of other black women in other districts where they didn't run on such a left leaning campaign. And so the fact that they were able to unseat white men who are well-established people who are on track for chairmanships or were in chairmanships was the power behind that. And so they also brought out new voters. And so these new voters not only were there for 2018, they were there in consequential in other elections, excuse me. And so this is and this was the energy that was uh, drawn out in 2018. It was because these particular campaigns understood it. It wasn't because the party writ large understood it. And the main fear, I believe, that is the underbelly of Nancy Pelosi's uh, um, her 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 distaste for the for the squad. <laughs> is that if we were to really embrace the squad and look at them as the future of the party, she would have to unseat herself and a whole bunch of the other men who power are- Power is not going to get, yeah. Really? You're not going to get- Yeah, the power that she was cultivating- Yeah, you're not going to give yeah, up they're, power. They're, they're, they're not going to give That's up. a generational yeah. thing that's going to happen though also. Agreed. You know, and, and I think one of the things that was hard for me to hear from on the ground in the reporting was to hear, like for example, in Pennsylvania, that it was Democratic Party- bosses and such who are white men, Democrats, who were not being helpful at all um, in terms of getting out the vote. And that part where it's just like, wow, so, you know, you're prepared to shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, That's the part where, and I, I want to drill down on some of that reporting because, you know, in, it is a party. I think we have to remind ourselves, like you actually have to be a member of the Democratic Party. You actually have to be a part of that party structure in order to be able to influence what happens with their platform. It gets into, you know, and who's going to join? Who of these young people, as Julio says, and I know it too, they're like, I'm not, I mean, I identify as Democrat, but I'm not a member of the party. I, you know, I registered as an independent. Sure, I mean, I'm more democratic, but I'm not, I don't believe in, and actually we need them now if you believe in this structure, unless we're just going to blow it all up, which is also a legit conversation. But it's like Julio's kids and my kids need to become enrolled members of the Democratic Party. They need to start going to the, you know, Democratic County meetings. And I mean, that's what it looks like when you're talking about party politics. And I... 
uh, right now that's being run by white men still, unless you do an AOC, right? Which is the other thing where are a lot of young people who are just like, it's right now it's still seen as a threat. And, exactly. And not it's seen as, as a, a threat instead of like, let's do this together. And exactly. so, so the way, you know, there's some serious, serious soul searching for Democrats. I mean, but we say this every four years. Right. But now it's this one, feel, you know, but like Nancy Pelosi is Speaker of the House after that. Chuck Schumer, head of the Senate, if if you didn't win it, you didn't win them, you lost seats. So, but power, this is what I'm going to say. Power, once once you have power, people aren't just going to be like, oh, yeah, no, that's right. Um, America's changing. Yeah, no, the Democratic Party future is completely different. Yeah, you're right. Our, our bad. We're going to step down. No, no, no. Like our editors yeah. or editors in chief of like, you know, the Washington that Post. Oh, my God. Happen. Like we totally like we totally got the message. And we are like, you know, we're going to take like a, you know, a five year reprieve. We're going to ch- let y'all run shit. Yeah. It's like, so, that's yeah, not going to. media gets to run the Washington Post. Right. That's not going to happen. Right. Let's just be real. That is not going to happen. So you're right, Maria, that young people need to get into the Democratic Party structure. The problem. There are a couple of problems with that. If you want to grow the Democratic base, it ultimately has to start from the top. No one wants to go into a system where they don't feel welcome. Right. Exactly. Their perspectives don't feel safe. And so what you see with Stacey Abrams in the South, who I think is the future of the party, is that she has, and I've seen her, I know this because I've covered her, I've interviewed her multiple times. She is somebody who makes clear what her values are. Yes. I remember sitting with her and this was a time when she was un- relatively unknown and people didn't think she would win and she could sit down with you for an hour and a half. <laughs> but, but, before but, she got so, on Oprah, before I'm, she got on Oprah, now yeah. she can't talk to her. So so, so we had this conversation. <laughs> Ari, I will never forget her telling me about Trump supporters and being able to convert them. She says that as governor, if I win, I will be there and work for anybody, but there is no known universe in which me and that man will agree. What I will do is push, make sure that they are healthy, make sure that they are safe, make sure that they are economically viable within this state. And then she also said that her whole plan was 2028 when the state becomes a majority minority state. She did not explicitly say it, right? but she said it, which was, I am going for the people who are voting for us. And Stacey Abrams was not only fixed on black people. I've seen her go speak to a lot of Latinx communities. I've seen her speak to a lot of new immigrants. But let me add that because this is Georgia. I think Arizona, to some extent, is a model for the future. But focus, I know you talk about Georgia, but Georgia is a case study in political organization that every generation, everyone wants to follow this movement is going to need to like write theses and and write think pieces about what has just happened in Georgia because it is a combination of not only black voters, but Latino, the, the, the growing Latino population where you had organizers like, um, I can think of Mi Gente, which they've been on the ground since the governor's race, connecting with, Latino populations inside Georgia, neighborhoods, 
making the connections that there's a bigger, you know, that there, there we have more in common that, that unites us than divides us. So whatever comes out, Georgia is going to be the case study, I think, for the future of the Democratic Party. Also, we don't, I mean, I haven't seen the polling in terms of Latino and Latina voters this time around. Oh, but I saw I'm Gwinnett, Gwinnett County, Gwinnett County, 78% for Biden. And there's a lot of Latinos there. That's there's like, a lot of, so, so, so that is right. And here's the thing about Stacey Abrams, who I was actually, I thought she would have made a great vice president. The way she talks, I can completely see her being able to speak to a Trump supporter and, and get them to come on this, on, on I don't know what side, her side, not my side. It's the same way in which that I, I've been able to have the same experience where, you know, I'll be talking to Trump supporters and then they'll end up wanting to hug me. And I will say, look in my eyes. I am that Mexican immigrant who he could deport. And of course, they're like, no. And I'm like, no, this is what it looks like. So I, I think she's very fresh. And I think she is um, potentially, yes, part of the future if the party stops resisting it. But, but, but here's the thing, Maria. I have never seen her double back or talk to these Trump supporters or white people differently than anyone else. Correct. Yes. You, yeah, so so and she she's very clear about who she wants to get. Her whole thing is white people, what are you afraid of? It's kind of like how Trump spoke with black people. What the hell are you afraid of? In her own way, Stacey Abrams does that too, because I could tell you just from witnessing her on the campaign trail, she doesn't work especially hard to get them. I just, I'm, I'm yeah, just, yeah, 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 no, 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 no I hear point. you, she, I hear you, I hear you. But I think what she does and the way because of her aura, frankly. She's a natural politician because of that aura. She doesn't, in fact, have to yell and scream. And no, she's actually just like, no, I'm just right here. I'm talking to you. She, I mean, I think she is a star. And I wonder what, what her future looks like. Head it's of the like, Democratic what, National will be, Committee. Will it, will it be? I think she's oh, okay. too big for that, though. I think, I think she's, she's going to be in the cabinet. That role. Oh, yeah. There are okay, couple, there, that's so a good there point. are a couple things, you know. But also she possibly, but so there are a couple things. Like maybe HUD, HHS, no, H. Ooh. She could, she, uh, yeah, she could, be, well, no, I, she would have to do something like attorney general. She would have Damn. to do something. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Attorney, there you something go. That's significant because she's too big because at the end of the day, I think Stacey would be better off running for governor again because hell, if she wanted to stay for Biden, she could win it for herself. Correct. But then I believe that if we really want the party to progress, the DNC needs to be led by somebody, uh, who has been on the ground in organizing. And the last time we've talked about solid democratic leadership at the top of the DNC was back during Howard, uh, Howard Dean's time when he brought up the 50 state uh, policy as strategy. And what we see activists on the ground doing is very similar. They have a Southern strategy. They, they have, they, they need somebody with a new Southern strategy. And I think an activist, some, somebody who I think would be perfect to do it and I know she won't do it because she fucking hates them. It's Latasha Brown. I was thinking the same thing. I was, I was going to say Latasha. I was like Latasha. Let's go into our uh, the the other sec our next segment, which deals with uh, uh, Latinx voters. So Joe Biden won the majority of Latinx voters across the country, but media are fixated on Florida, yeah. especially Miami Dade. While Biden won more than 60% of Latinx voters nationally, according to data that we have now, he lost ground with them in Texas and Florida. While the numbers are still coming in from Arizona, preliminary data show him winning big with Latinx voters, especially 
Mexican-Americans, and Puerto Ricans, according to the Latino Decisions Polling Group. So, even though Biden is winning Latinx voters in other parts of the country, why are talking heads fixated on Florida and Cubans? Because they're lazy. <laughs> we, just, we just had this conversation Easy. on yeah. In the Thick. They're lazy. Here's the thing. Let me just break. Let me. Florida is not the only game in town. Okay. It's 2020. It's 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 its own region. It's its own state that if Democrats really want to win it, they're going to have to really, really create relationships, especially with the growing Puerto Rican community that could neutralize the traditional Cuban-American vote. The problem with Florida um, is that it's been given, it's sucked out so much air in the room because of the history of Florida. So let's let's go back to 2000, uh, you know, Bush v. Gore, people forget about Elian Gonzalez that happened, you know, the Cuban boy. That was a national scandal. And the people that like, wanted to rip them away from the Cuban-American community were Bill Clinton and Janet Reno, Democrats. So you also need to understand one thing about Miami, Terrell. The two largest media companies that have served the Latino community are, are based in Miami, Univision and Telemundo. So that is, it's, it's kind of like being like New York or D.C. for the rest of the country. There is such a Miami bias in looking at this community. And what's happened in response has been a backlash, to be honest with you. So the real power, the real power of the Latino vote moving forward for Democrats is in the, the Southwest and Western Blue Wall, is in the Midwest where you have these pockets of urban areas where, you know, you can win with cities like Detroit, Milwaukee, Chicago, uh, you know, Cleveland, uh, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, uh, you know, of course, New York, Hartford, Boston, like you have all that. And then, then you have the South. To me, the South is, you know, look at North Carolina, look at Georgia. It's already starting to happen where you have, and Maria's done such amazing reporting. I mean, this is why I love my, my colleague, co-host, friend, sister from another mister. She was ahead of this, like, Years before anyone else, and it was one of the reasons I came to Futuro Media when she was doing America by the Numbers by PBS. Maria, can you, I mean, we just talked about that side in the thick, but... Well, so the thing is, is that the dem the, the, the American South is experiencing the most in intense demographic change. Um, and people don't see it. You're right. So they only focus on the Cubans in Miami because, as Julio said, it's simple. It's easy. Um, again, they 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 stop at the Venezuelans. You know, I'm like including the Bolivians, right. Nicaraguans, eh, potentially Colombians. Uh, Colombians. You know, people who will respond to this. So, um, you know, also, what is the Latino population? Eh, it's 1.3 percent of the Latinos in in the entire uh, nationally is the Latino population in Miami Dade. Yeah, it's like 3%. It's like, it's not even, if you took the Latino population it's across. It's 3%. It's like about 3%. Right. It's like, three. you know what I'm saying? So it's like, so it's like teeny. It's like New York, it's D.C. Like it's like that New York, D.C. bubble. Start looking right. at Miami as a bubble and and you're you're ignoring places, even Texas, Terrell. You're ignoring a place like El Paso, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas. 
there's so many places. The Rio Grande Valley. Well, the Rio Grande Valley. Which we can look, get into. <laughs> look, the point is, is that we, we also, because famously, Terrell, you said on In the Thick and to many in many places, you do not have to be white to be a white supremacist. And so what we are seeing, right, is that Latinos and Latinas, hey, human beings, if you are attacked enough, you know, you're going to be like, I don't want to be that. I, I don't want to identify with that. I want to identify with this other thing. That is why you have Latinos and Latinas who are like, build the wall. And you're like, you're kidding me. And they're like, no. It, now that I'm here, build the wall so that they can't come. So we have to understand that also Latinos and Latinas come to this country and they want to be it. I mean, they are the ones who are like going to McDonald's, shopping at the mall, you know, getting the white picket fence, that whole like I'm an American, the illusion, suburbia, all of that. Like it's for real. And part of that, you know, if you think I'm trying to think back, like I guess Ozzy and Harriet, even though I never watched that show, but it's like it's Republican. It's Republican land. Like that is the narrative. And 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 then throw into that self-hatred. Uh, and and then apart from that, there's the trauma. So again, and then, we talked about to add anti-blackness. Like that's the other right, thing, exactly. Terrell. Like, add, we don't exactly. we don't even come to terms with our own racism that we we literally have brought from Latin America. Because guess what, slavery is a thing too in the history of Latin America, and so and and we were based on a racially caste system. And your position in Latin America was based on your racial purity. And and so what what was what were what was another one of the tactics of the Trump campaign? They were sowing fear not in the Cuban Republican, yeah. so, you know, Southern uh, Florida. They were sowing fear in places like Texas yep. and saying, "Can you believe what what what's going to happen to the United States of America if Biden gets in? He's going to become a socialist, and the cities are out Open of control. Yep. There are riots." Yep. And he can't control them. It's happening in cities run by Democratic mayors. And so therefore, and you had Latinos and Latinas because of their inherent anti-blackness that is they've been living with for decades, centuries. Um, they were like, yeah, we're scared of black people, you know, taking over cities. And it's like, then that is not the truth. But that was a narrative that they did respond to. Again, the Trump administration, coño, spent some time freaking thinking this and figuring it out. But I think, uh, yes, you're, you're, and another thing I would add on to that is there is a, as you, there's a severe lack of just area studies, knowledge, and, 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 and just understanding about race and ethnicity and nationality and what, and what all encompasses, you know, let's say Latinx and, you know, in any other area. So, for example, in Arizona, I specifically cited Puerto Ricans and Mexicans, and the data that I cited cited those groups for a different reason. I mean, there's a different way that you know Mexican Americans vote versus Dominicans versus a wide range of people, and so in there order, are few, there are a few Puerto Ricans in Arizona, but I wouldn't say that there's a you know I would say Puerto Rican is more Florida, East Coast, Midwest, like Chicago. I mean. Arizona's mostly right. Mexican American, and if you think about the West and the Southwest, Terrell, a lot of Central Americans as well. So, um, no, that's 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 fair. That's absolutely right. But my point is that in order to understand why these results are coming out as they are, you have to have the knowledge 
of, of these voting patterns. And I think the reason why people don't do it is because, like you said, they're rate lazy. And I think about this as an area studies person when I talk about Russia versus Ukraine versus Belarus. And you think, okay, they all speak Russian. No, these are completely different ethnic groups. When you hear their languages, they're different. They may sound the same to you, but they're completely different groups of people. And so you have so many people that irks me often when things pop off in Ukraine or things pop off in Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan, they find an area studies expert who focuses exclusively on Russia and their perspective is some, from someone who lives in Moscow. And I see the same thing happening with media when they talk about Latinx voters or South America in general when it comes to immigration. And another thing, Marie, when you talk about white supremacy and how I have these conversations of you don't have to be white in order to aid and abet white supremacy, Black people, we have this uh, this xenophobia in us too because of humanity. And so, for example, for all of the people, the children who are caged up, of course, we could talk about the Obama administration. It's a whole different conversation. But the point of it is the, the, the way in which Trump talks about people from from South America, the way in which he talks about immigrants is so virulent. It is so obviously xenophobic. You have a whole bunch of black people who will say, yes, I don't want those people in there either. And when I say you don't have to be white in order to aid and abet white supremacy, it, it's really the, the matter of this system is really designed for us. And I'm talking about white supremacy to think that we can ascend to the top, to think that we will be equal within this system. And so as opposed to deconstructing and tearing down this system we think the easiest route is to sit atop of it and that means making friends and taking on these economic prosperity lectures from trump to think that the more money i get the more yeah. that i can be like it's, you. it's it's quite distressing uh terrell honestly um but it is it is as much as we're kind of taking stock of this moment and the ways in which black women latina women turned out uh, black folk, Latino folk in general, we also have to recognize, I mean, this is like that there was an increase in black voter, male black voters for Trump, even black women. Doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise us. So that's the part where we actually, we, our job is to look at that and spend some time thinking about that, right? As opposed to glossing over it, because I'm telling you, they and I don't even know who the they is because once Trump is gone, what happens to the Republican Party? We don't even know what it's going to look like. But whatever it is, there will be that attempt to go after that vote. That is, again, we just have, why you know why was that vote able to increase for Donald Trump after all of these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is more a reflection, not about the feeling, but also the fact that Democrats are still missing out and taking for granted communities missing of out. color exactly and losing and a lot of lost opportunities and again looking at my like instagram feed like i just checked it out right now what's happening right now is there is a celebration of these activists and grassroots like organizations in arizona in georgia in pennsylvania in the midwest that literally led to joe biden a very mediocre democratic candidate from the past, you know, in, in a lot of ways, from another generation to be the next president of the United States. And that's what needs to get celebrated. And that cannot be lost in this conversation, because what's going to happen in the political mainstream is Joe Biden got the white voters back. 
And that's that's too simplistic, too lazy, and but but it's also not really exa- true. But that's what we're already. But that's, okay, that's that's not true. That's though. what I'm saying. But that's what you're getting. <laughs> but we're already getting in the Midwest. You know, Wisconsin, Michigan, that's, and Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's not true. But what you know? Anyway, thank you, Terrell. <laughs> of course. So so listen, we're going to end off by talking about our hopes and what makes us optimistic because we are seeing some some great progress in many areas and i'll end it off but i know i'm going to talk about the the great activism of black women across georgia and them pretty much creating their own southern strategy and for latinx communities around the country stepping up and so i'm going to celebrate us but i want to hear you maria what are you celebrating in all of this drama and all of trump's xenophobia and his crying about losing and bitching and moaning and lying. Well, you know, I'll believe it when we when I see it. And there's a saying in Spanish, hasta no ver, no creer, until you see it, you don't believe it. So uh, we, are, we are in for um, another extraordinary, and I don't mean that in a good way, several uh, weeks, couple of months. I, I do not believe that Trump is going to appear at the transition. I do not believe that he's going to show up there. I believe that he's going to... He won't even show his face. Um, so so I'm, I'm just kind of thinking about that. Like, what, what does that mean? And so a time of kind of celebrating is actually, it's, it's bittersweet because I don't feel very celebratory. I understand now that my work as a journalist actually becomes not tougher. It's always tough. But we are now going to have to take on the people who were perceived to be the better and we're going to have to be criticizing them, holding them accountable, pushing their buttons. And they don't like that either, just like the Trump administration didn't like it. So our job, um, you know, just grows. And it, and I guess I do want to celebrate, apart from people who just went out and voted, from young people who became electoral uh, nerds, like my kids, like Julio's kids, you know, that they went out, that they voted, all of that. I'm also celebrating what we have done in the media, you, Terrell, ourselves, that we have created a space for ourselves and that we are part of the conversation and we are changing, <clears throat> we are changing the conversation. And that that's deep. You know, I do feel like whenever I say that, yes, we are following in the footsteps of Frederick Douglass. That is the work that we are doing. And we're not going away anytime soon. I'll, I'll celebrate that. Yeah. I'm hopeful too. I'm with Maria because... I feel like we've been saying this for years and Maria, you know, as being our pioneer journalist has been, you know, I learned from Maria as a journalist when I was listening to her and it's the same message over and over and over again. To me, the hope is seeing that what we have shared and what we have created is still is getting more, it's, you know, it's resonating every day incrementally, but we are changing the narrative. We've been changed. The, the, the narrative's here. Like we've created the lane. You know, this. You know, it's already been changed. Now it's just a question of having more people in the lane. And so that that's what gives me hope. But I also know that there is another machine out there that is defending white supremacy, and it is very well funded. It has a media conglomerates behind it. We're the little tugboat going against the battleship. And the only way this changes is that people wake up and say, oh, 
these are the people that we need to elevate, whether it's organizers or journalists. We need to put them in positions. And I still think when it comes to, quote unquote, progressives and moderates who are not of color, they are not going to give that up. And there's still going to be this two front battle. Like you have to fight the hate, but you also have to fight the movement to push that narrative in different circles. But we've been doing that. I mean, that's what Futuro Media does. That's what Maria does. That's what we do. It's like what that's I created what Latino Rebels. What else? Do we, I mean, that's what we do. So let's bring it on. And we just keep, I, but I'm always hopeful, always hopeful. So I am going to talk about my optimism by starting off with a tweet that Jelani Cobb of the New Yorker sent Good out choice. 15 hours Good ago. Good choice. And I quote his tweet, to be black in the first week of November 2020 is to feel that you've been called off the bench yet again and told the whole game is on your shoulders. <laughs> so I have a special response to that, which is for so long, the white democratic industrial white boy complex have told us that we do not deserve to be in the starting five. And for a long time have told us that we need to reside at the tail end of the bench. But what is evident in Georgia, what is evident in Detroit, what is evident in Philadelphia, what is evident in the blackest parts of our country and the countries, in the areas, excuse me, with the uh, with, with strong Latinx communities is that not only do we need to be off the bench, all of us need to be in the starting five. And we <laughs> I'm are sort of getting not it. going I'm sort to of the getting it. You did, watch, you did watch the last dance, so this is good. You're getting it. We, yeah, yeah, I got we, it. We are not getting, yeah, we are not getting to this. We are not asking the coach to put us in. We're going to the score table and we're demanding that we get in and then there is no choice for the other players to step out. And so I believe that the future of our country is going to be for us saying not put us in coach, but we going in anyway, and we're going to drag y'all all to victory despite yourselves. And we are going to not only win, but we're going to have people like Stacey Abrams pushing the point. And that's what black and Latinx people have told America. We pushing point on America and our days of sitting on the bench are over. <laughs> so there you go. We did a show. Thank you very much, Julio Ricardo Varela and Maria Inahosa. Thank y'all. Oh, so we love much. you, Terrell. Yeah! We love you, Terrell. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Black Diplomats. We appreciate the support. Please go to Apple iTunes, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and rate us with a five-star review. And go to our Patreon page where you can find us under Black Diplomats and donate to our show. We're eager to grow the podcast and give you even more episodes, but we need your support. Thanks for listening. I'm Terrell Jermaine Starr, signing off.